So good morning as we continue our journey through 1 Corinthians. This morning I wanted to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through 44. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, and it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So as we look at what Paul's talking about, he's definitely trying to draw a contrast between our natural body and our eternal body. And as Robert mentioned in his message last week, there was a group of people in the Corinth church that were questioning whether the dead, the physical body, could be resurrected. And so Paul addresses that, that issue. And he even goes a little bit beyond that, I believe, because he goes on to point out that the resurrection enables us and causes us to transform. And that enables us to be a transformer. And then Paul, of course, uses lots of different analogies. He talks about the seed. I hope you can see my little acorn. It's a seed. And that little acorn grows into a tree. This is obviously not an oak tree, but the point's the same. It's quite different than the pine seed that this pine tree would have grown from. So there's a transformation. Some of the things, the DNA and things remain the same, but things are going to be different. And that's why he's pointing out this contrast between our physical body, which is in decay, and as we age, we begin to be more and more aware of that. Things just aren't the way they used to be. Certain parts don't work the way they used to. But that's not always going to be that way. So I was thinking about, when we're thinking about this transformation of the resurrection, what effect does that really have on us? You know, whether we have a physical body, spiritual body, whether the physical body is raised from the dead, I mean, what difference does all that make? I thought back to the story of Daniel. Well, it's actually the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel, in chapter 3. And it's a very familiar story, so I'm not going to go through all the details, but the nutshell version is the King Nebuchadnezzar, for whatever reason, decided to make this 90-foot gold statue, this idol. And that wasn't enough for him. He decided everyone in his kingdom should worship this statue. And so he basically do what kings of that era did. He said, here's the deal. When the band plays, you all fall down, worship this statue. And then if anybody doesn't, hey, I've got this furnace over here that I've been stoking. And that's where you're going to end up. You're going to be thrown into this fiery furnace. So not exactly worshiping out of love, it's worshiping out of fear. But that was the deal. But these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who had been taken as exiles from Israel to Babylon and had important positions, and they weren't going to do that. And of course, since everybody else is bowing down, it's pretty obvious when these three high-ranking officials are just standing there. And so that gets reported to the king. The king probably has some deference because he, he appointed of these positions, so rather than just throwing him into the furnace, he says, hey, here's the deal. I'll give you one more chance. You know, maybe you didn't understand how this works. I'm the king. You're not. 
You know, when the band plays, you bow and you worship the statue, or you go into the furnace. <clears throat> but this is the response found in Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Pretty bold statement <clears throat> to the king. And he was infuriated. And the rest of the story, of course, he gets them thrown into the furnace. He has the furnace heated up so hot that it kills the people that are ordered to throw him into the furnace. And then when he looks in the furnace, he sees these three people, not just three, but another person walking around. And he says that fourth person looks like the Son of God. So then he calls them out. And after witnessing this miracle, he realizes that there's a transformation that's taken place with these three young men. And, he's, and he respects that. And how could that transformation take place? It gets back to that resurrection. They were not just worried about their life here on earth. Even if that came to a painful short end in a blazing furnace, they were looking forward to a resurrection and living with an eternal God. And I think that knowledge enables us you know, the Corinth church, I don't know what their deal was. Maybe it was just because they thought resurrecting a dead body was just totally inconceivable. It was something beyond their knowledge. You know, having a spirit flow around eternal, we can maybe kind of understand that. But having our physical body not rot in the grave, that's just inconceivable. But Paul addresses that head on. When he starts this lecture with them, this letter, I should say, uh, he addresses the issue about their question. You know, what kind of body are they going to have? And he basically says, that's a dumb question. Think about it. The same power that created the entire universe is the one that caused the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This power is so awesome and so great, how can you ask such a dumb question? And then he goes on to say, and this is from a commentator that I looked at. The sin of denying that there was a resurrection and doubting even the resurrection of Christ could have a very negative effect on not just the church, but those that were even ignorant of God at this point. And Paul says this is a shameful situation. And then he gives us an analogy of the plant organisms and how they're similar, but yet when the seed is sown, the plant that grows is so different. It has a new body that God has given it. And then he goes on to talk about not all flesh is the same. And he gives the analogy of fish and animals and humans. Their flesh is all different. And then he even goes on to talk about the universe. And how the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, they all have a different type of glory. The point he's trying to make to them is that God is going to take what is perishable, what is weak, and make it imperishable and eternal so that it lasts forever. This commentator says the spiritual body does not just mean a spirit, a non-material body, but it means a physical body that can last eternally. And that's what Paul is explaining to them. Whether you understand it or not, God is the God who creates. 
but we are to be transformed by this knowledge. And he addresses that issue of transformation in another letter. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, says this, Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Again, that transformation is a physical transformation with the resurrection. But it's also an eternal transformation. As Romans 12, 2 tells us, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 tells us to be transformed into Christ's likeness. And Galatians 2, 20 sort of summarizes it and says that I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives within me. And the life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. So that resurrection power not only transforms us, it enables us to be a transformer. Joanne Flander Thomas was an individual who lived in South Africa, and that's where she grew up. She grew up being half white and half black. And in a book written by Philip Yancey called Vanishing Grace, he talks about her story. As a student, she early on began advocating against the injustice of apartheid. Of course, that was the total segregation of blacks and white in South Africa. And she, as a Christian, began started praying the Lord's Prayer to accomplish this. And especially the part that she focused on many times was, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Because the reality was, as she looked around, God's will was not really being done on earth that much. And then one day she realized that she only lived a short distance from Polesmore, which is a maximum security prison. And in fact, it's a prison where Nelson Mandela had been in prison for a period of time. But it's a prison that has a reputation of being a very brutal, violent place. And on an annual basis, they would average 279 acts of violence against other inmates and against guards. And she decided that she was going to go to this prison that was severely crowded and start visiting that prison each day. And she went there with a simple message of forgiveness and reconciliation. And she got so the inmates trusted her and developed a rapport with her. And she got them to talk about their abusive past, their childhood. And she began to talk to them about better ways to deal with the frustration and conflict that we all inevitably face other than resorting to violence. And slowly, the inmates began to respect her and attend her Bible studies. And after she had been doing this for approximately one year, the violent acts dropped from 279 the previous year to two. 
And that amazed people. So the British Broadcasting Network actually did a documentary on this. And in her interview with them, she basically made this statement, which shows how the power of the resurrection transforms us, but it also gives us the ability to be an agent of transformation. She said, God was already present in Polesborn Prison. I just had to make him visible. And that's a truth that sometimes we forget. God is present everywhere. And sometimes we're called to be transformed by looking at the power of the resurrection so that we can make him visible where we're at. So going back to the book of Daniel, this is in Daniel chapter 6, and this is actually about Daniel this time. Daniel was a very blessed individual. He was able to interpret dreams. He was wise, and King Darius, who is now in charge of the kingdom, has a great deal of admiration for Daniel, and he's decided he's going to make him second in charge for the kingdom. And, of course, the other rulers were a little jealous about that. And so they wanted to get Daniel into trouble to find some corruption in him. But, of course, they couldn't because Daniel was a righteous man. And so they finally, in exasperation, say, there's nothing we can do unless we can do something about him and his faith. And they thought, aha, that's it. So they go to the king and say, hey, king, you know, just to make sure everybody's really loyal to you, let's have this law where nobody can pray to anyone but you for the next month. The king thinks, hey, that sounds like a, not a bad idea. You know, I'm a king. I should be worshipped. And so he signs the law. The catch is, in that culture, the laws of Medes and Persians could never be changed once it was enacted. So, of course, they go and they find Daniel doing what he's always doing. He prays publicly three times a day facing Jerusalem. And so they have him brought before the king. The king now realizes what's up, that these guys are jealous. They want to get rid of Daniel. He tries to figure out some way to get around the law. But even the king can't do that. Not in that culture. So he decides, okay, you got to go to the lion's den, and he throws him in. But this is interesting. This is Darius talking. This is Daniel 6, 16. May the God whom you serve continually rescue you. That's like a prayer. This heathen king is actually praying to God. That's the power of the resurrection evident in Daniel and his transformation. And then Daniel, of course, Next morning, miraculously, is unharmed, and he's released. His accusers are thrown in and promptly killed by the lions. And then Darius issues this decree to show the effect that the resurrection power can have on us. This is found in Daniel 6, starting at verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language and all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, the people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed, and his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Then it goes on to say Daniel prospered during his reign and the reign of Cyrus. The amazing thing about that psalm is it sounds like it was written by a believer, but it was written by a heathen king who was very impressed by the transformation power of the resurrection. And we have that same ability, just like Joanne Flander Thomas. As we're transformed 
by the power of the resurrection. Physically, we're looking forward to that eternal resurrection of our physical body and internally being transformed to become more like Christ. Then we can talk in a way that can draw people to Christ. And I found this in the Daily Bread for July, excuse me, September 17th by Dan Dave Brannon, pointing out how Jesus often used transformational questions. This is how he puts it. Sometimes we fear confrontation or don't want to seem too aggressive in sharing our faith. But there can be a winsome way to witness about Jesus. Ask questions. For a man who was God and knew everything, Jesus sure asked a lot of questions. And we, while we don't know his purposes, it's clear that his questions prompted others to respond. He asked his disciple Andrew, what do you want? John 1, 38. He asked blind Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Mark 10, 51. And he asked the paralyzed man, do you want to get well? John 5, 6. And these transformation happened for all of these people after Jesus' initial questions. So as we try to be an authentic faith community where we share the transformational power of the resurrection, that gives us an opportunity to be agents of transformation in this world. In other words, to make God visible where he's already present. If you join me in prayer. Thank you, Father, for transforming us. Thank you for the power of the resurrection that we look forward to, a resurrection of our bodies eternally so we can keep our focus on the things of heaven and not the things of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.